0: Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion, hosted by Kyle Dornbos, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm here with, as usual, Mike and David, and we also have a special
2: guest, Luke Eddy. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I've made an arduous trek from the moon to be here. <laughs> how, how long
3: did it take to come down from the moon? Out of curiosity, like
2: uh, oh, I was like seven minutes. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's a long commute. <laughs>
1: uh, well, well, we appreciate you coming all the way, all the way down here to. You should. To to you should. <laughs>
0: I mean, well, it, really it's, a, it's a long journey. Connection is much better
3: now that he's closer.
2: Yeah, yes, that was the issue. We were having a connection problem, and, you know, that uh, Earth to Moon, you get a leg. So it wasn't working.
1: (laughs) So, Luke, I'm sure that most people know who you are already, but do you want to just briefly uh, introduce yourself, maybe for some new listeners out there?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, So I started work at Fantasy Flight Games, while Alex Davy was designing the Legion core set, and I helped with some of the finishing touches of that, and then have been designing uh, expansions for Legion for, uh, I'd say, what was the first one that came out? The first um, Battlefield pack, the one um, the, of the moisture evaporators, Variety Supplies. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've had a hand in each of the expansions that have come out for the game.
1: Um, and you also do uh, the rules reference and such, right?
2: This is true. Although Alex and I do share the work on that, uh, but uh, I often get into the, the nitty-gritty of updating those, So, uh, which is something we're going to talk about today.
1: Yeah. So we're going to hit, um, we have a lot of things to talk about. There's, there's, this there's, is true. Yeah. There's there's a lot of spicy new units that were previewed. Um, mm-hmm. And we'd love to hear from you about those. And then, uh, of course, there was a, a gigantic rules reference update. Yeah, <laughs> which I think you wrote an article on. But it would also be helpful to hear about all of those things. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, let's let's dive in. Cool. So we got a bunch of new unit previews on a very exciting stream uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, that would be arcs, be droids. Cad Bane and Padme Amidala.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do you want to just talk about like I know Alex talked about them on the stream a little bit um, as far, especially with respect to the models and things like that. Do you want to just talk about sort of the um, like the design philosophy behind each of these units and what you guys were going for as far as mechanics and how they play on the table? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Maybe let's start with the, uh, the the commando style
2: units first, the ARCs and the BX droids. Sure. Yeah. So um, it seems like people are excited for both of those, which is great. Um, these are, uh, I'm sure as everyone knows, these are the first special forces units for the new Clone Wars factions. Um, and both of them sort of have some similarities with the first. Um, Special Forces units released for the original two factions, um, the Scout Troopers and the Rebel Commandos. Uh, but also, of course, they have some of the things that makes them unique for their respective factions. Um, and uh, Alex was the lead developer on these ones, and I think he, uh, he did a good job of um, sort of combining those things. Um, I think uh, both of them feel really uh, elite, which is cool. They feel uh, in some ways more elite than the Rebel and Imperial ones. Um, Obviously, I mean, you have Arc Troopers, and then the Commando Battle Droids are just such a huge step up from your normal Battle Droids, but they also feel um, much more elite than, I mean, any other unit in that faction thus far that's not one of the Commanders or a Heavy. Um, I think the design ethos for those was to sort of have a, a um, have the options that the player has mechanically um, reflected in the options that they have to hobby them and vice versa. So as you saw on stream, we highlighted the miniatures themselves a lot and we had um, Corey DeVore there to um, one of our sculptors to talk about um, just the, the minis themselves. Uh, and so like, you know, they highlighted how the um, the commander droids have shields and swords, and those are both options that you can actually um, choose as assembly options when you're making the minis. And both of those cards uh, make the unit operate in different ways. Plus, you have the two other heavy options for them. Um, Alex mentioned there's the sniper, and then there's also the saboteur mini. So the units themselves have a lot of um, customizability, but also sort of like... You can tailor them to what your preferences are or what role you're trying to have them fill. So they're meant to sort of be... um, They're sort of... They will sustain the Special Forces slot for those units um, in a sort of an expansive way. They're going to fill it in, you know, they'll fill that slot with a lot of different options um, just by nature of the options they have. so it's a good first unit for them to get. It gives them some, uh, each of the factions long range capability. So they're more on parity with the Rebel and Imperial factions. Um, it gives the, um, the Separatists in particular, the, uh, uh, an area denial option with the Saboteur. Um, they have, uh, they all can scout. So it gives them the, the ability to sort of like similarly move up. Um, and sort of advance that battle line uh, at the start of the game. Uh, and then with the, uh, the Swords and Shields option too, you can opt for more survivability or um, you can sort of have... A, one of the weaknesses that the Separatist faction has a little bit is that their only like brawler units or melee units are their two really expensive Commanders. And so while the commando droids aren't really like a true dedicated melee unit, for pretty cheap, you can at least make them competent in that role and as sort of a tar pit unit. Um, so it really op- opens up a lot of options for both of the factions.
0: Uh, so I wanted to, to also ask you about um, the ARC Troopers. Um, I don't know how much you can say, of course, but we, we've seen that uh, Fives and Echo are gonna make an appearance. Um, in that yeah um, you want to talk about some of the some of the new angles with the arc troopers we saw in the article that was released the the one titled to the limit that there are uh, jet packs coming and we're actually going to yes there are now in the game that is not limited to just a hero it's going to be on a on a full-fledged unit so uh, can you talk about some of the the decisions there and how you think that's going to impact the game
2: yeah, well, both of these units, a lot of the um, the mechanics were theme-driven. So, like, we were not not going to give our troopers jetpacks. Like, they got to have those. Um, and we'd always planned on um, Jump not being exclusive to uh, heroes. It's just taken us time to get to um, adding those sorts of units for the game. And it's, you know, no surprise that the first faction that's getting them is you know, the Republic, because I mean, you know, all the, all the clones are based off of a Mandalorian and Mandalorians love their jetpacks So, you know, it's no surprise that sort of the elite clones, um, would have that as a function. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, similar to how you can equip the commander droids with different options to sort of like fill out what you're trying to do with them, giving the, um, The clone troopers, those jetpacks, really enhance their uh, mobility in a way that opens up options for them. Uh, They have a much more potent uh, range one to two attack. Uh, And so having that mobility uh, can definitely get them into places where they're able to sort of, you know, peek at what their damage output is. Um, So that's good for them. And yeah, and then the fives and Echo Mini, that was also definitely like, like... We definitely wanted them in the game, and it's tough because there are so many cool characters in Star Wars. Uh, you know, there's a long list. You know, people have wish lists of what they want in the game. We do too, and we're trying to get to them. But you know, we can only put out so many things at a time. Uh, and so uh, we've looked at different ways of how to include um, characters where we can, and I think. Um, what worked well was back when we did the Pathfinders doing uh, POW and Biston as upgrades. Um, and you know similarly, we've done um, C3PO as a counterpart to um, R2D2. And so with Fives and Echo, there's definitely a conversation about like, well, do we hold off and do them as operatives or some sort of, you know, maybe one is the counterpart of another, um, but we really weren't going to be able to fit that into our schedule anytime soon. And we really would rather have them in the game than potentially not for a very long time. And so we thought, well, this would be a great opportunity because they do become Arc Troopers to include them as sort of that Pow and Vistan type um, upgrade where uh, you get the character into the game in that way uh, and Alex, and Al's, as alex mentioned they can go into normal clone trooper core units so that's pretty cool this is the first time we've sort of done that outside of like the specialist packs
0: i love that by the way that you're able to do such a thing um, i think that really kind of gives the the clone player a lot of freedom and i think um, as always you know being able to build you know, what you want, how you want it, right, is kind of both Mm -hmm. from the sculpting standpoint and from now the list building standpoint because you've enabled them to do that with the new rules. Yeah, no,
2: I'm glad you're picking up on that because that's like, that is something you're going to see in the future in other ways too, where as we um, sort of increase... Um, our capabilities as far as sculpting goes we want to sort of reflect that in the miniatures as well and uh, or the uh, mechanical capabilities as well the customizable options there and I think um, you know there's a lot of other ways in which you know we're going to open up sort of some list building options that um, you know in some in some respects sometimes it's maybe not like oh this is like you know, the most competitive way to run something, but it's a cool thematic um, choice. And so uh, that's something you'll see more of in other ways as well.
1: Can you talk about, you alluded to a little bit, um, but uh, of course you can see a lot of different weapon options for both the ARCs and the BX droids. Can you talk a little bit about um, like what we could potentially see there as far as weapon upgrades and stuff are concerned?
2: Sure, yeah. So for the BX droids, um, there's the swords and the shields as armament upgrades. And then for the heavy weapons, as I said, there'll be a sniper and there'll be a saboteur. For the um, arc troopers, uh, fives and echo are each a miniature and they they occupy that uh, heavy weapon slot. Um, There's also going to be a generic uh, heavy weapon for that squad. So you don't necessarily have to run... Um, either Pfizer echo I think Alex mentioned that on the stream about how um, BIS and power are both good but there isn't a, a generic heavy option for those um, units it's not uh, strictly necessary but you know if someone say wanted to run three units of Pathfinders there's there's not a um, there's not a heavy weapon option they could put on all, all three um, so giving you that sort of generic arc trooper heavy weapon um and and actually, I will say, the, heavy, the generic weapon is their sniper. So, um, you know, you're not limited to just using, say, Echo as the sniper, though he is a better sniper than the generic heavy weapon you'll be getting. Um, but you could run, you know, multiple units of them as snipers with that heavy weapon guy. And then as far as the armaments go, the only one they're getting is the um, jetpack. So it's, it's not really adding a, a weapon per se, but it's adding a... Um, or is that gear? Actually, never mind. I lied. That's gear. They don't have the armament slot, but they do have that gear as a, 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 a an option unique to um, them and uh, Rex, which is kind of cool too. That he can take that. Oh man, that's awesome that you can put that on Rex. Yeah, yeah. It's it's he he doesn't have it all the time, but you there's definitely uh, moments in the Clone Wars where. Um, like the 501st will be using jetpacks and he's a part of that, obviously. And so he'll have one too. Um, yeah, in the Clone Wars, you definitely see jetpacks as kind of a like, they're there if it serves the story. Kind of anyone can get a jetpack, I guess if they submit the right paperwork, uh, but more so ARC Troopers. So that's that's who has it in Legion. There's
1: actually an episode where Obi-Wan uh, gets a jetpack as I recall from, from the, uh, moment.
2: yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. You know, sometimes just the Jedi force jump isn't quite enough. Yeah. What,
3: yeah. What know. would that, that would give him what like jump three or something? That'd be, yeah, that'd it's, be,
2: it's, it's like, what's, it's, uh, yeah, it's multiplicative of course. I see. <laughs> or additive.
1: stacks, like all of the keywords, jump three. Yeah.
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, speaking of, uh, characters, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, Cad Bane?
2: Yeah, Cad Bane is definitely an exciting one. Speaking of the Clone Wars, um, yeah, there were, uh, I know there's a lot of speculation about what uh, operative would come up first for the Separatists, and uh, Cad Bane won the raffle, so congrats to him. <laughs> uh, but uh, he'll be fun. Yeah, he um, he obviously has some similarities to existing bounty hunters, so um i think it won't be a total surprise on how to play him but he also has some some wrinkles for example he um does not have a jet pack but he has little like rockets on his boots so he doesn't get that speed bump that like speed and um, boba have um or jump two but he has jump jump one which is useful um and then uh he still just has pistols but he gets um Steady, uh, which is I don't think that's been on any unit other than the um, the Snowtroopers until now. So he sort of play, you know. So he doesn't have he doesn't have a range three, but you know, performing an attack after moving is uh, is pretty great. So he plays, you know, slightly differently, but not wildly differently than the other bounty Hunters we've seen. Um, so people will kind of know what to expect uh, a little bit, but then of course he has some really wild command cards that will definitely make him play differently. Can you talk
1: about at least the one that was uh, talked about on stream? I'm in control, the 2 Uh
2: Yeah, I can. In fact, I, I will bring it up. Um, I will say, you know, I, I don't want to uh, spo- spoil anything else, especially when there are pending uh, marketing articles. But people have noticed that there were some... Uh, Tokens for him that had not been seen before. And I can say that those are a part of uh, one of his command cards that uh, does some fun things uh, with a little bit of bluffing uh, for players to get into.
1: Bluffing, that sounds really interesting.
2: Yeah. And uh, if my computer will load any files, I'll pull up his 2-PIP. Maybe I'll just Google it. I don't have a computer. (laughs)
3: i mean it's at this point you probably can google it right
2: uh yeah actually you know here i'll go to the um i do have bookmarked the star wars legion uh wikia <laughs> <laughs> let will see if we'll see if they have it in here it's also, it's
1: also pinned in the discord oh I don't know yeah that's easier
2: uh that's true i could go there Come on, Cad Bane, where are
1: you? In the meantime, can you talk about um, whether whether you are pro-hat or anti-hat?
2: I'm pro-hat. Like, the, <laughs> hat here's here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, as as people have noticed, you know, even on characters who don't necessarily have, like, multiple outfits they're wearing, you know, we're, we're giving you more, more options. And for Cad Bane, like... You know, we're looking for ways to allow players to sort of customize that mini. And having a hatless thing it is an option we're giving you, but I, I'm not advocating it as something you should necessarily do. Yeah, you like, know? is it really an option? Are you just giving us... Exactly, a- exactly. That's what I'm saying, you know? It's, it's a sort of a, a, a... It's a false sense of options, I guess. You, you gotta give them the hat. Okay, I finally loaded the card here. At start at end of Cad activation, you transfer any number of suppression tokens. Uh, yes, to any number of trooper units that range one to two. Yeah, this is uh, mean, this is for sure. Um, the the suppression token thing. Um, obviously, you know, um, a lot of times there's not like a wild number of suppression tokens out. Um, the point though is definitely the immobilized token. That's mainly what you're trying to do. Because even just one passing one suppression token um, triggers an immobilized token on that unit.
1: Well, and this is uh, actually a little bit of something maybe we can talk about later with the RG, but the start of activation that's that's explicitly now before his rally step, right?
2: Uh yes. Yeah. Start is before his rally step.
1: So yeah, the so you can get
2: he can get rid of those, yeah. I, and that's, I mean, and it would be, it would be frustrating too if you, ha- if you had the suppression and you wanted to transfer it and you lost it because of your rally step. So yes, he can do that before he rallies.
1: So he could, he could be like about to panic and just play this, and then dish out, you know, whatever eight suppression to.
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to be at that range one to two though, so he has to sort of put himself into that position. But yes, yeah, he can, he can definitely do that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's not and what uh, I mean. what's nice? To, oh, what are you saying? No, that was not without some risk to do that. Is all I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yes.
2: Now, the other thing that's nice about this, and this is, you know, this is not that exciting, but if you're a separatist player, it will be, um, is that it is Cad Bane and one unit. So he's, uh, you know, he's he's got a whole plan that involves some other people in this case. Uh, but having one of your operative cards still give a order to another unit is very helpful for. Um, those droid armies, because you can still get off your order chain. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I
1: think I think that might be the only operative command card that does that, besides um,
2: uh, Legacy of Mandalore. Yeah, I think that is correct. Yeah, and that's the, the her three pip, of course. Yeah, yeah. as long mm-hmm. as you don't count uh, Luke Invader, I guess on that equation. Well, yeah, right. right. I think um, do any of their. I get uh, operative. I'm doing scare quotes. You can't see me, but they're operative cards. Uh, issue another unit. I think no. they might all be themselves. Yeah, they're all they're all single. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of like their original ones. Mm-hmm. It makes them special that way. As um,
3: so Cad Bane sounds really sweet. Um, Republic got a little bit of a, a new toy too in Padme, which is pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. I um to sort of keep a bit of parody there between the two new factions, we um there's a lot of cool uh a lot of cool characters in the Clone Wars who would make great commanders, but wanted to keep a little parody there and pick a character who would make a good operative. And at the top of that list is definitely um Padme and uh there is definitely she has a lot of interesting synergy going on um in that faction a lot of her stats seem you know on on paper they're like oh yeah that's good that's good but then combining them with what's sort of going on in that faction just elevates them to another level it's sort of an insubstantial there in particular like alex mentioned that um she can um all friendly units in range of her can use her greed tokens um, and she has a way to issues that would normally be ordered to her, she can give them to another unit instead. So obviously that's going to help set up uh, your fire support attacks. And then her, she herself is a great shot and has sharpshooter 2, which is great for fire support attacks, as well as a surge to hit. And um, the upgrade card that we spilled for her does give her a range uh, 1 to 3 option. So um, just... You know, there's expensive stuff in that faction, but uh, and she's not a commander, so you still have to work in a commander. But as sort of a support option, uh, she's really she'll do a lot of work.
3: <laughs> yeah, she seems very toolboxy, at least from what mm-hmm. we've seen. Um, so we've also seen a pretty crazy um, command card. Uh, yeah, how about that? Yeah, oh. do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. Yes, that is um, that is a lot. That's a lot of things going on at once in one command card. Uh, but those are things um, that you're going to see more of. So um, they are yes, yeah, sort of converging all at once on one command card. But um, some of these keywords are also going to show up on some of Cad Bane's, and they're being used in uh, future things we're working on as well. Um, this uh, card in particular, diplomatic cover that we're talking about, introduces two new keywords that are specifically command card keywords. So this is a new thing where it's a a keyword on the command card that gives some sort of um, ability or effect to the card itself. Um, in particular, so um, I'll start at the second half of the card, divulge. Um, it is a, exactly the same effect as it was on Operative Vaders 3-PIP where you reveal the card at a certain step for an effect. Um, so it's not a new concept, but it was something that after doing it once, we realized that we could get uh, more mileage out of this and use it on other cards. And at that point, um, there was no reason not to sort of codify it as a keyword and start saving ourselves uh, some text space as well as like give it its own entry in the... Uh, rules reference. So uh, divulge deploy unit step then means you know you would reveal this card to your opponent at the start of the specified step, the deploy unit step, um, for an effect. And then the other new keyword on there is um, permanent, uh, which pretty simply just means that once the card is played, it's not discarded at the end of the round uh, like other command cards normally are. So by uh, divulging the card at the start of the game, you're able to give Padme uh, Infiltrate and um, then you're forced to play the card like the Vader one. And then when you go to actually playing the card, if it was divulged, she gained Secret Mission, so there's Infiltrate and Secret Mission. If you didn't divulge it when you play it, she gains a reliable one instead, which is the keyword we've seen on the phase two clones, meaning she gets a surge token at the start of every round. And as mentioned earlier, friendly units can use her her surge tokens. She's now like a walking surge token bank for people. So two different ways to play the same card. Uh, Again, giving players more options. There's a bit of complexity in it, but... um, like I said, permanent is a thing we're going to see more of, and this divulge uh, thing is essentially what we've already done with Vader, but also something you'll see more of as well.
3: Yeah, I really like that there's like kind of a dual option on this card where you're like, okay, if I don't want to do the, the infiltrate secret mission thing, I can be this really great support piece for my army, and I think that really... Mm-hmm kind of, you get to define Padme's role at the beginning of the game, it looks like with this card. And that's really Yeah, cool. definitely.
2: And you can read um, you can read the board and decide what you want to do. Um, not uh, unlike the loadout keyword for Cassian and Aiden, which lets you sideboard some cards. It sort of lets you make a decision. Uh, it's another turn zero decision where you assess the board and decide what is the best way to um, play what I've already brought to the table. And, and you sort of modify how it's going to be played, what abilities it's going to
0: have or what upgrades are equipped to it. Well, since you brought up Cassian, um, I would love to, to talk about him. Um, yeah, my boy, Cassian. Yeah, the article Covert Ops um, outlines some of the stuff we can expect both from Cassian and from Aiden. So mm-hmm. like you just mentioned, you have the, the, both the Covert Ops keyword and the um, loadout keywords, which like you say, you read the board and then make a decision how you want to play, or maybe even in the list building step, um, how mm-hmm. you want to use him. He's he's very much a multi role kind of you know pocket knife kind of guy, where he doesn't have he, he can he can be a lot of things for your army, um, and I think we should we should really talk about his um, uh, his marksman and some of the interactions between that and. Um, the sniper rifle and then of course crack shot with his ability to gain a, a standby token uh, mm-hmm. and potentially sh- you know gets gunslinger and standby from that really awesome one pip of his yeah uh, three attacks if you can make it work wouldn't he but wouldn't it be even before because he can gunslinger
2: uh he, or uh Oh well, yes. I'm oh, sorry. Yes, four because he still has Gunslinger yeah, when he makes possible. the standby. Yeah, so four. You could yeah. potentially do four attacks with it if it's set uh, up. So perfect. Good. That's the dream. That's the dream. That's you the know, dream. we want to I create right? these aspirational moments. You know, will you always get four shots out of
0: that? Mm. No.
2: Not. I mean, honestly, the the standby is is some nice sort of gravy there. It's interesting, and um, you know, it was sort of a riff on like. Um, Obi-Wan's one pip where he can take a standby, but it's it's at the start of his activation, it's before his one pip. So it's a little bit of insurance of like, oh, was it a roll-off for the uh, my one pip? You know, or maybe you don't activate him first. Though if you played a one-pip, you probably are going to. So Cassian and Aiden sort of switch that up a little bit with, you know, they sort of get a standby token as a bonus after their presumably, you know, first activation of the, the whole, of the round. Um, But you're at least going to hopefully get gunslinger off um, just on your normal activation attack. And if you have the sniper rifle, um, and that is is two, you know, range one to infinite shots, uh, which is pretty nice.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's been noted that, you know, snipers took their, uh, their sort of, you know, hit, they were reduced to range five. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of folks were, Speculating that that was to make way for the re- the reintroduction of infinite range, uh, cumbersome rifles on these two.
2: Um, you know, it, actually, the way that um, these things sort of work out is that Cassian and um, Aiden were they were designed at the same time as the existing or the old, I should say, uh, infinite range um, sniper rifles. Now, if you look at especially. Um, items, it bears a lot of similarities to um, those rifles. And there was some concern about introducing another infinite range sniper rifle with a different rank. So um, we tried to sort of change how you play with that rifle a little bit. And that was mainly through the marksman keyword where you have a very accurate rifle But you've sort of capped a little bit like the upper limit of how much damage output you're going to do because they don't actually have sharpshooters. So you can't get into a situation where, you know, with light or no cover, you know, you're, well, if they have heavy, really, you're probably only going to get one crit through with them. But it's very consistently one crit through to do one damage with that pierce. Um, Now, the infinite range, original infinite range sniper rifles, were being changed to range five while we were working on the um, strike teams, the ARC Trooper and the Commander-Droid strike teams for the new factions. Um, so that was actually the timeline going on there where we were like, all right, if these are going to change, we need to consider this change now And um, we have to decide what change we're going to make because that will have an impact on the design of the snipers for the new factions. So, um, both Cassian and Aiden were initially designed, you know, sort of like with the existence of those infinite range snipers um, in play. And we tried to do what we could to sort of, you know, mitigate what would be, you know, four possible infinite range snipers at once. but I think the, the outcome that we got was even better where we looked at then toning down the range of just sort of the generic ones, the commanders and the um, scout troopers. And then at that point, it really made um, Cassian and Iden shine as the only true infinite range snipers. And I think that's uh, appropriate, too, because they're their main characters or they're unique you know, commander characters. And um you only can have one of them in, in a given army.
0: I'm also really digging um, the theme here because I noticed that Cassian has danger sense three, just like Jin with Danger Sense Four, just like Paths mm-hmm. with Danger yep. Sense Three. So you really you can have a a Danger Sense army is now very possible. <laughs> this release. It's true,
2: yeah. Yeah, we sort of try and keep some of that mechanical theme with units that sort of appear together. So, you know, it, I, I thought it would be weird if Cassian didn't have it after sort of, again, that's the the theme of the other Rogue One Rebel characters that we've had thus far. Um, he's not quite as good as as Ducan as uh, Jin is. You know, she has Danger Sense 4, he's got 3. But, you know, it's as good as any of the other Pathfinders. Yeah, it certainly helps in a sniper battle too because um you know the snipers usually again it's just sort of narrowly trying to get some some hits in and piercing that one block but if you can roll a couple extra defense dice it really you know throws the math out of wag
0: right it's like a, a i like to call it a pseudo impervious
2: mm-hmm. and i think and that yeah, and that was a little bit of our, um, again, how um, I mentioned we, we we were doing the change to the original snipers at the same time as the um, designing the ones for the new faction and not at the same time as working on uh, Cassian and Iden. Um, but we knew that even if that didn't change, though, with Cassian and Iden, um, they were going to be sort of natural predators to the scout and commando snipers uh, because they'll win that that duel even if they both had infinite range. Um, Cassian and Iden, I mean, you have six wounds on a character versus, you know, one per mini with two minis, Um, plus danger sense. And um, Iden's droid also helps her out. The droid, uh, you've seen the spread of the tokens, and there's a shield token in there. So her little Dio will grant her a... um, a shield token, and that's real annoying to try and work through as a sniper, if you're trying to have sort of a sniper war with her.
0: Yeah, I'm super looking forward to, to all of that, and, and as you mentioned, like, I'm um, with the sort of a semi-reliable you know, critical hit you know, Cassian and Iden become kind of these arc, these kind of, you know, arch snipers where they, mm-hmm. yeah. they can hunt down other strike teams and, uh, you know, basically beat them at their own game, kind of. Exactly.
2: It's certainly more interesting too to um, spend aim tokens in that way. Um, similarly, I know Alex mentioned that um, the uh, snipers for the new factions are also going to play with the aim tokens slightly differently. They have to. Uh, they have a new keyword called lethal, where they have to spend the aim token to gain Pierce one on their weapon. One aim token for pierce one, um, up to a maximum of one. So not more than that, uh, but they have to choose to spend that aim token to gain that pierce and not on the reroll. So, um, they also sort of play with that a little bit differently. Um, so as far as I and Cassian
3: go, you know, um, clearly their sniper rifles are upgrades to their unit cards. Um, do you expect mm-hmm. them to be, um, equipped with those most of the time do you feel like was that the main role you guys had in mind for them when you designed them
2: uh n- yes and no I, that was a definitely a role that we um were giving them to fill uh but both of them have another option for a gun as well uh Iden has a just a uh it's i think it's the uh, the tl50 uh which is just a just a mean range one to three dice with her gun with a bunch of dice. Uh, so she'll, she can also just fill sort of a, a, a regular gun line role as well without necessarily having to be a sniper. And then Cassian as well, his, um, his rifle is a double-sided card. It has a config uh, or it is a config. And so flipping it over, um, gives him the, a different version of that gun, leaves his cumbersome, and he's now able to... Um, he has tactical on his card, which obviously you can't use while you have um, the cumbersome sniper rifle. Uh, but without cumbersome, that tactical then comes into play. And so uh, when you move away from sniping, he becomes sort of a run-and-gun um, guy who does actually want to get up and close, you know, close and personal. So um, I think both of them actually hopefully have um, two very different ways that um, you could play them. Uh, but what's cool because of the loadout keyword and, and also because um, Cassian's weapon uh, can be reconfigured is you can sort of adapt them to um, the role that you need to them to fill Like in that particular game. Do you need them to sit back and be the sniper? Okay, they can do that. Do you need to have them move up? Do they need to be like your objective uh, secure? You can do that with them instead on the fly in that game.
3: That's awesome. I mean, I I think, you know, we saw it a little bit with the Padme's command card that you just described there, but these kind of heroes with um, dual capabilities where you kind of at the beginning of the game get to decide how Mm -hmm. they're going to interact with the game state. Um, presents some really interesting choices to players
2: yeah it's cool and that actually that came out of um that came out of a conversation with uh frank uh, brooks who works on x-wing and we were talking about you know okay so aiden is a she's from a video game you she's the character you play in a first person shooter in battlefront 2 what can you do in a, a minis game that sort of Uh, is evocative of that and and in particular to like how she plays in battlefront and one of the things that you can do in that game is uh when you reach a checkpoint or find a crate in game in the single player mission um you can completely change what your equipped abilities and weapons are and so out of that you know sort of uh, out of that sort of gameplay choice in the video game we're like, okay, well, how could you sort of do that in a minis game? And it's like, well, they have upgrade cards. You could do some sort of sideboarding. It makes sense for her to have uh, different weapon options um, anyways, because we want to do multiple miniature poses for her, and she uses a lot of different weapons. Um, So it just sort of naturally uh, grew out of that, and then it was just sort of serendipitous that it worked as just as well for Cassian too, who you actually literally see in Rogue One, like before getting off the uh, his U-Wing, like repacking his bag and changing the configuration of his gun. So it just was a natural fit for both of those characters. And while it does add some more um, complexity to playing those characters into the game, you know, um, there's definitely space in the, original factions now to appeal to sort of a more sort of, um, you know, not necessarily like, um, not purely a more complex level of play, but, you know, as people are more familiar with those original factions, you know, we can do mechanics like this that require more, uh, a little more mental overhead, but out of it, you get some more interesting options for the players, more interesting decisions for them to make.
1: And uh, I think you just alluded to it, but um, it's not just for loadout. It's not just for weapons. You can also do like training upgrades and stuff.
2: Uh, exactly. Yes. You can create a whole branch of a lot of decisions you had to make depending on how many upgrades you want to start equipped to them. Yeah, that's,
1: that's, that's awesome. Um, so I think, uh, I think we want to move on to the RRG because there's a lot to talk about in there.
2: <laughs> uh yes there's a lot of blue text in that that uh that document huh
1: yeah i can't actually remember an rg update that had more blue text than this one
2: yeah we just went through and there'd been a lot in there that was sort of bugging me that we hadn't gotten a, just things that could have been worded better some quality of life things and it just sort of became like a like oh well we're just gonna go in and clean up whatever looks like it needs to be cleaned up. And so there's a lot, definitely a lot of sections in there that really didn't, I mean, they didn't change in how they function, but the wording is clear. Something's clarified a little better. Um, it, there were some places where um, just the wording between, um, you know, two different entries talking about the same thing, neither of them were wrong, but they were using different wording. And it was like, well, let's just change those so that they're the same, so. Uh, There's a lot of that going on, which creates a lot of blue text. Uh, Hence, um, the article that we put out to sort of uh, highlight some of the things, like the the more meaningful changes that um, were in there. Um, And that's something we definitely want to keep doing in the future, too, is, you know, sort of release um, an article to accompany an update to the rules reference guide. I know um, in some of the the, um, video and computer games I play, I appreciate when there are uh, patch notes that developers put out. So it's that same sort of thing. Um, so in the in the article, you clearly
3: highlighted um, tauntauns and shore troopers. Uh, as... Yeah, those
2: those tauntauns and shore troopers, <laughs> man. Do you wanna do you wanna talk
3: a little bit about kind of what went into the thought process behind those changes?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. I I as you said, I do sort of allude to like the nature of those changes, I I think, um, something I want to reiterate for people is like, you know, this is not like, here's your balance change, you know, one and done, no more, no more balance changes to Tauntauns and Short Troopers, Um, no, we're, we're, as I said, gonna keep an eye on them, they're definitely something we're going to look at um, when we do points changes, Um, But also, to be a little more specific, I guess, um, we didn't want to change them drastically uh, before Worlds. um, Because uh, Worlds is um, kind of a a, a culmination of a season. Um, So there are definitely some balance changes to them that we are considering. Um, And that we're going to do some more testing on. But uh, in the meantime, we did want to do something about an aspect of each of them that we felt was um, beyond sort of just rebalancing them um, and addressing something that was um, uh, just not an ideal uh, rules interaction or or component interaction. Um, And so, you know, if you've read the update or read the article, you know that um, it's, uh, not actually shore troopers uh, or their mortars that were changed, but there was an errata to comms um, relay such that emplacements can't take them, uh, the ramifications of which are that the um, mortars themselves can't take that and you know, kick off an order chain uh, once they're given an order and end up with orders on all of your shore troopers and hence aim tokens on all of your shore troopers. Um, it was just something that was... Um, uh it's something we knew I mentioned this we knew you could do in in testing but it seems sort of like it seemed like it would be more work to set up than it was necessary worth you'd have to you had to dedicate a lot of what you're doing to it um but clearly you know at a competitive level it's achievable and the efficiency that you get out of it is via the aim tokens and also the order tokens um was worth it and But it's sort of the thing where, like, if you were to go to an event and you are, say, newer to competitive Legion, and someone has this setup and they just start, you know, chaining these orders and getting all these aim tokens and able to do it round after round, you know, um, that doesn't feel good. It feels like you got tricked a little bit and there was an interaction that you you didn't expect to happen. Um, you know, we certainly include combos, uh, card combos in Legion, various synergies, um, but they're all supposed to be relatively um, transparent. You know, they're, they either have a thematic tie-in or they came together in the same um, product. Um, and so it's not really like a, a surprise or a gotcha when something works the way it does. Um, so it was something, you know, we decided to change and, um, you know, definitely tamps down on the overall efficiency of the short trooper list that we're using that combo.
1: Can you talk about, um, the changes also in that same vein to Tauntauns? Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, similarly, it was something that, um, you know, is, is less so about sort of changing the efficiency of the unit via, say, changing a keyword, changing a stat, something like that, and more about um, we just, you know, once they had gotten out in the wild, so to speak, and people were playing them, it was something that that um, didn't feel good to play against. It didn't feel like it should work like that. Um, it seemed too easy for the player running the Tauntons. Um, and just, you know, bouncing between units without any ramifications, um, just meant you could keep, keep getting ram off against other units, staying in, um, engaged in combat so that you're not really ever shot at. Um, and just generating again, too much efficiency, but also sort of a, a, an NPE or a negative player experience for your opponent. And, um, It was interesting because the creature trooper rules, we definitely went back and forth on a lot in testing. Um, But the main thing that was contentious uh, while we were testing them was um, how uh, cover worked with them. Um, You know, the whole, whether they got cover from suppression tokens or not, whether they could be shot at or not when they were engaged, whether they even were considered engaged or not. Um, And so there's a, you know, I, I like where all of that ended up, but Unfortunately, we didn't get quite enough attention. Probably was the nature of them, um, you know, exiting combat freely. Uh, it was always the intent that they're not like um, we wouldn't want like a tauntaun unit to just totally get neutered by a you know upgrade list forty point squad of rebel troopers that just runs up and you know touches them with their base. And now tauntauns are like you know, stuck and they're no good anymore. So, you know, we still wanted to give them some sort of, you know, ability to, first of all, displace minis that they're engaged with. Um, But second of all, be better at withdrawing than other units. But just being able to freely move out with no ramifications um, just proved to be the, the wrong decision. So we're walking back on that and giving them the restriction of having to use their whole activation and move at speed one. Um, But uh, along with emplacements, they will get to do free actions, which solves some other issues with the emplacements of not being able to get out of melees um, because they're not able to reposition, Um, but then also lets the Tauntaun still be a little better in those situations where it withdraws in that if it can get into melee, it can trigger a a melee attack or it can shoot because of Relentless after, after doing the withdraw.
1: Just a little bit of an extension of that. Essentially, um, you know, they, they can't ram anymore when withdrawing. Exactly.
2: Yep, because um, the, the withdraw is a speed one move. Um, it doesn't affect their um, their maximum speed, which is still three. And thus the, you know, the, the requirements for ram are not fulfilled and they don't get that extra efficiency out of it, out of their melee attack and it also just hands down on their range that's the biggest thing too you know moving out of you know combat at range three with the freedom to do another free move or another move is you know i mean that's their normal distance but have being reduced to one speed one move really cuts down on the distance they can travel going out of a melee
1: so another sort of like ninja change to creature troopers in here is uh, that they can no longer climb and clamber
2: Yes, that's true. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that is a bit of a ninja change. You're right. I mean, I mentioned the article, so it's not a secret, but yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that was, um, and again, like, you know, yeah, it's a little, a little tweak to them too. It's, it's not super, I mean, it's certainly not as drastic as, you know, the change to um, withdrawing, um, but that was as much of a sort of a, a way to do a little bit of rebalancing as it was to just make some of these movement rules a bit easier to remember um we were we already knew we were going to change um emplacements to be able to reverse because again they'd sometimes get into weird situations and you know they might as well be able to you know it's not some huge balance issue if they suddenly can Um, and then in that respect then the only difference between creatures and emplacements movements would have been that um the creatures can climb and the emplacements can't. And we are like, you know what, let's let's just do that as well, make them as close as possible. Um it's not like either the Tauntaun or the Duback were like, you know, in Star Wars lore notorious for, you know, climbing over things. So um if in the future there is some sort of um, creature who, you know, is meant to, you know, scrabble over terrain and stuff, then they'll have some sort of keyword for that
1: uh, I'm, I'm going to be excited to see the first time someone uses Vader's might to just launch a Tauntaun on top of a building <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, no, you definitely there's definitely some shenanigans with that card, and they will come up, but uh, yeah I mean, I guess keep your Tauntauns away from Vader <laughs> It
3: seems like a it seems reasonable, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But something's like got to be good against Tontons, right? Anyway, you know,
3: yeah.
2: If anyone's going to be good against Tontons,
3: yeah. Um. So, uh, Luke Eddie Moon Ninja is what I'm going to start calling you. Um, I'm fine point. with that. Um. So, Sounds speaking good. of things you've ninjaed, uh, secret mission has changed a little bit in this rules Yes. update. Um. Can you talk
2: about that a little bit? Yeah, secret secret mission and bounty no longer interact. they just completely separate. No touching, It's the rule. I uh, fully
3: support that decision.
2: Yeah, it was one of those that, um, you know, people who follow uh, the um, rulings that are posted in the FFG forums um, and clarifications on things, that's sort of a stopgap between being able to Um, update the rules reference because, you know, updating the rules references, um, it's involved. It's, you know, there's a whole, um, you know, document with, you know, images and text flow and it has to go through approvals and translation and and, and various things. So um, we, you know, generally only do that um, along with the release of new units whose keywords aren't in there yet. um, So that online form is a good sort of stop gap for us. But in there, um, there was a clarification saying that they do interact. Um, because at the time, you know, he had to pick one or the other that needed an answer. Um, and, uh, but, you know, after, after seeing people's responses on, you know, whether they liked that or not, uh, I think it was, you know, sort of a, eh, you know, both from a, like, I think what, you know, players would rather see and from the perspective of like, um, again, not wanting to have these sort of surprise interactions um, that someone with less experience um, doesn't expect. Um, it was something that, you know, I think we wanted to change.
1: Um, yeah, and it, it also, you know... I suppose,
2: should I say exactly what it is? The, the thing is just that if you put a, if you put a bounty token on a unit with secret mission... A secret mission can't unit can't be like oh I have a victory token now I fulfilled the requirements of secret mission, you you didn't you have to perform the secret mission action, um, and there are some other weird ways too in which they might interact and we just said no, and, and just interesting too actually oh so here this is a this is an actual ninja stealth change, is that bounty and bounty two bounty keywords no longer interact with each other, so if I steal if I get a bounty, say I'm Bosk, me personally, Luke Eddie is now Bosk and I kill my quarry and I get a victory token on myself. My opponent then, who let's say has Boba Fett, uh, under the old wording of the rules reference, if that Boba Fett killed me Bosk, while I had a bounty token, uh, that Boba Fett would get the token. I keep saying bounty token. I mean, victory token. Sure. Um, That now uh, no longer would happen because the that victory token was not placed on Bosc due to the bounty keyword at the beginning of the game. Um, So that token would just be lost. No bounty. No more. Exactly. No more stealing. No more stealing bounties from each other. uh, No more R two D two cashing in on a bounty for himself, whatever that was.
3: <laughs> so just to clarify that a little bit, I actually, I didn't notice this change and I'm looking at the rules reference guide right now and being like, oh, he's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but what that does not preclude you from doing is say having Boba and Bosk in the same list and having multiple bounty targets, they still can cash in on either.
2: Correct, correct. The, the bounty keyword when checking whether the token transfers doesn't care whether it was the bounty keyword that put that particular victory token on. All it cares about is whether that victory token was placed on a unit at setup because of a bounty keyword. So yes, you could still have Bosk and Boba in the same list. They each pick a different bounty target. It doesn't matter which of them kills which. Cool. Mm-hmm
1: seems like we need some red and uh, blue player uh, <laughs> bounty tokens or victory tokens. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I think uh, it's, it's generally, pre- I mean, you know, it's the sort of thing where, like, I mean, if I killed your unit and got the bounty and transferred it to my bounty hunter, like, you know, yes, hypothetically, you know, there might be a memory issue there, but I, I you know you're usually gonna be able to remember like, oh yeah, yeah it's because yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Maybe, a, like a couple. maybe I'll talk to uh maybe I'll talk to OP, maybe get some fancy bounty tokens. That would be sweet. Love a it. Kid. Yeah.
1: I mean that'd I mean, be cool to just be able to throw a bounty token down on the table and be like, I'm bountying you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so uh uh, two more changes in there that um, we wanted to ask about sort of related to um, just mechanically how the, how the game is played. The first is uh, the changes to pre-measuring. Yeah. So um, now you can uh, explicitly only use, um, it's not quite as restrictive as the like a one tool at a time rule from, I think that's Armada. Uh, yeah, that's an Armada rule but you can use uh, one movement tool and one range ruler at a time, but not like Mm -hmm. multiple range rulers and or multiple movement tools.
2: Correct. Um, Um, Yeah. And that was sort of a compromise between the sort of new level of leniency we were granting by being able to use a movement tool at any time. um, And, uh, you know, at a, we felt like we had to give it some sort of limit because by opening up, you're like, oh, yeah, you can also use movement tools. Like, you know, a, a player could, you know, with nothing saying otherwise, you know, get out two different range rulers, multiple movement tools and sort of try, you know, figure out the perfectly, you know, lay them out on the table and figure out like the perfect position. Um, and at that point, it's like, no, nah, don't, don't do that. Like, we, we want you to pre-measure, but... That, that sort of level of perfection and, and also really just you know, s- slowing down game time is, is not what we wanted. Now, um, it's a rule we could change in the future, but we wanted to put some sort of cap on it so that um, it wasn't ambiguous. You know, like To what extent could I use multiple tools at the same time?
3: Yeah, I mean, you just have high-level players doing trigonometry at the table, right? Like, it's just, like...
2: Exactly.
3: I've seen people do that, you know, in casual games all the time. They put, like, three different range rulers down on the table, and they're trying to figure out exactly where they can go to, like, not trigger a Mm -hmm. standby or something. Um,
2: Yeah, and you know what? Like, in your casual games, like, that's fine. Go ahead and use two... Sticks at the same time, to, you know, <laughs> double check. But like, you know, at your tournament level games, like, yeah, just stick to one at a time, just so you don't slow things down too much. And um,
1: who's uh sort of anal about triangulation? Um, I love this change. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> from, from a from a speed of play perspective, um,
3: because Kyle will sit there figuring out exactly where his piece needs to go, just to <laughs> so every time.
2: Doing actual <laughs> trigonometry
3: yeah 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 i have a lot of experience with this um so i i did have a question in regards to um the ability now to use movement tools outside of the units activation do you guys right. have any concerns about like bumps and stuff like that happening more frequently
2: Well, uh, funny you should ask. There's a whole margin of error section in the rules now. Um, no, you do, you do raise a good, a good point. And I think, um, you know, it's not really something you can avoid. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as players, it'll happen in tournaments. Um, it'll happen in casual games. Um, the more familiar you are with, a minis game and using the tools in the game, you know, the less often you'll bump things, Um, you know, just, you know, it helps hold down the base of the mini when you put the movement tool next to them. Um, But uh, no, whatever little bit of extra sort of imperfection you might be introducing via perhaps bumping units more often, I I think is more than offset by um, the ability to, you know, have sort of a, a, a freer, um pre-measuring restrictions in the game um i actually don't have that particular section in front of me but can
1: you do that can you also use movement tools on your opponent's units or just your own
2: um i don't know if i have the section up uh either but uh i believe you can use the movement tools on your opponent's unit just you know be nice about it yeah. Uh, tell, tell. Make your intentions clear, and uh, perhaps ask them. You know, if they could do the measurement for you, if uh, you think they might be particular about it. Yeah,
1: that's always a good practice. Whenever you're, even when I'm using range rulers against opponents' units, I'll um, mm-hmm.
2: I'll do something like that. Yeah, and the other thing too is, I mean, if you um. If you're really familiar with the the range tools as well, um, you can sort of tell what speed of movement is going to be just from the range ruler too. Yeah. So you don't even if you don't necessarily even need to use the movement template, then you don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, I think just for um, I mean, probably just muscle memory. I'm gonna personally probably keep using the range ruler to measure movement.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: I'm sure there will be situations, you know, where it's beneficial
2: to throw that actual movement tool down. Right. When you're trying to get like, you know, it's a millimeter away from an objective token then yep. yeah, you probably want to use that movement tool.
1: Well, it's also important to note though, that, um, you have another section in here basically that says when you like pick up, I think it's actually in the same thing. When you, um, pick up a mini, you've committed to performing the move. So, even per- yes, if you do.
2: Yes, if you do actually pick up the miniature, then yes, you are moving with it.
1: Yeah. So even like even just using the um, the movement tool is not going to be a perfect measure simply because you're not able to put the width of the unit's base in there to
2: see. Correct. You show the width of the base at the end of the movement tool. Yep. Yeah. Um,
1: do you want to talk about margin of error real quick? Uh,
2: sure. Yeah, we can talk about that a bit. You know, it's a long section, but Yes. Um, it's actually a... Yeah, yes, it is. It is a whole <laughs> page. Um, it is a, it's a long section, but it's mostly just sort of examples. And um, this is actually the sort of the, the, the main thrust of this was taken from the tournament regulations, which also has a, a much shorter but um, similar margin of error section just about how like you know this I mean the main the main point is that you know the physicality of a miniatures game itself just entails that there's going to be some imprecision and as you said some you know you might bump something you know or, or play something you know sort of you know uh, push it a little bit when you move it accidentally or, or when you lift up your your hand even you know it might catch just a little bit and change by a millimeter or more but um, so that's just it was something that had always been in the the tournament regulations. That was something I thought is is not necessarily exclusive to tournament play, and uh, the rules reference itself, which many more players read than the tournament regulations. The tournament regulations are intended mostly for tournament organizers, um, but it's something that more players I thought could benefit from reading and just sort of having it codified into the game. Um, itself in the regular you know the game rules of the rules reference rather than just living in the tournament regulations um so the main the main thrust of it is just about the hey it's a physical game uh and then it goes on though with a bunch of examples about um how um the minis themselves um, the part that's not on the base is not meant to sort of impede certain mechanical aspects of the game and. I guess what's not explicitly stated here, but um, what is definitely an intent is, um, we don't want to like uh, hamper the um, the hobby side of Legion. Legion is very much a hobby game, and some people, you know, will take um, the miniatures and add to them or convert them, and, and you know, change the way they're posed or, or what they're doing on their base. And we didn't want that to have a, um, a detrimental effect on playing the game itself. So. Um, you know, having to explain how to sort of ig- ignore the miniature while playing a miniatures game, um, you know, took a a bit of text and some examples. But, you know, sort of the the intent of that is to, um, um, you know, not have the, the cool factor of the mini itself get in the way of the mechanics of the game.
3: Um, yeah, I think that that's really important um, just to kind of make it, I don't know. Just not like terrible to have to like finically like put everything back to where it needs to go every time. Um, mm-hmm. So, in kind of the spirit of margin of error. Um, you know, Alex had mentioned on one of the previous streams uh, recently.
2: Oh, you want to ask about silhouettes?
3: I'm going to ask about silhouettes. You, yeah. Oh, man.
2: Um, so I read your mind. You, it's, it's like we didn't talk about this beforehand. <laughs> it's like you didn't have a list of what you wanted to talk about ahead of time. Right?
3: Um, yeah. Yeah, so it would be great, I guess, if you could talk about that in any capacity that you can talk about that. And I guess um, also maybe uh defined kind of the time frame to whatever extent you can when we can expect that change
2: yeah absolutely I mean it's not something that's out so you know I don't want to you know go into too much detail but um, I do think you know I'd be happy to offer some more clarity for people um, it has been something that has come up um, a number of times um, the reason it's not something you've seen yet is because um, we decided that um, uh, as I was saying about you know sort of like the, the margin of error that you know, like, oh, that can live in just the rules itself. We decided that this is something though that we want to live in the tournament regulations for Legion. Um, we decided it's not something that um, was crucial for um, just your sort of standard casual game night or friend's house play. If you're doing that, don't worry about this. You don't need to add another layer to what you're already doing for miniature line of sight. Now, if you are a competitive player, though, and if you're familiar with any other games that have silhouettes, um, you know this is something that I, I think will be an improvement to um, your gameplay. Um, just for the clarity of people who maybe don't know how it works, um, uh, silhouettes in minis games is, uh, you might have like a little cardboard cutout and it's the sort of, Standard size of what a miniature would be, and when you check line of sight to something that has that size, or is is um, because of their base size or whatever is supposed to use that silhouette, you put that little piece of paper, or that little cardboard standee, um, in place of or behind the miniature, and instead of having to figure out, oh, can I see like part of this miniature? Can I see his gun sticking out? Can I see it's, you know, some part of the physical miniature itself? You just need to see the piece of paper, the silhouette, the little cardboard piece behind it. Um, and uh, it's something that, as we said, we're going to introduce to Legion. We're going to introduce it to the competitive tournament play, though. Um, and uh, I'll say it's, it's something that is only going to be for um, standard non-emplacement non-trooper or uh, non-creature troopers. So only things on that small 27-millimeter base, uh, we'll use it. All the other vehicles and creatures and things will just line of sight as they always have. Um, but uh, a- as you mentioned, le- the connection with the margin of error thing is that um, this is intended to allow players more freedom in their hobbying, not have to worry about oh, I sculpted some you know awesome flame jet coming out of my snowtrooper uh, flame trooper, and now when I'm standing next to a building, it sticks out and I can be shot at. Um, so it's going to open up more freedom there. And, um, as people saw on the stream, you know, like you're getting more troopers on flight stands and under the old line of sight rules, uh, that's really more of a, that's a, that's a disadvantage being up on that, but it looks really cool. So like, you still want to do it. Um, so exactly with the introduction of the silhouettes, then that will, um, alleviate that problem.
3: I mean, I think that that's a great change. As soon as I saw the ARC troopers, and this was before you know silhouettes got talked about, I was like, "Well, um, I'll, p- I'll put the jetpack upgrade on them, but I'm definitely not putting them on flight stands ever because <laughs> um, uh-huh, yeah. that just doesn't, you know, it wouldn't have made sense uh, to do that exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that this change is great. Um, cool. I think I think yeah. that's a that's a pretty awesome answer. I, I'm I'm loving that.
2: Yeah, and I don't know, I mean, have you guys played any games that use um, the silhouettes at all? Uh, No,
3: normally I'm shooting Kyle's Luke's lightsaber from, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, yep, I can see, see the tip of that's it a over some crates, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, uh, you thought he nope. was in heavy cover, but uh, I got the tip of his lightsaber, so, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, that's and, a good
2: example of something that uh, we are going to curtail with this
1: the The Wookie unit leader is also now very excited that he can proudly hold yeah it holding
2: holding that sword up above his head. Now there will be some minis who don't like it, you know those those kneeling snipers. They just got a little taller, <laughs> but you know sure. I yeah. I I think you know that is that is what it is. You know I think it's it's definitely going to benefit a lot more units and especially hobbied units than or minis I should say than you know have a negative impact.
3: Um. So I know that we didn't talk about this question ahead of time. So please feel free to tell me to take a hike. No, no, but, mean- um, it, should we expect some sort of product to be associated with these silhouette like uh, cutouts or whatever they're going to be?
2: No. So there won't be a product for them. It's not something that we wanted to, well, it's certainly not something that we wanted like gated behind a product you have to buy. Um, is this something we could potentially see um, in a product down the line? Um, say, as like a, a, a piece of cardboard punch. You know, that's certainly a possibility. Maybe as an op prize, something like that. Um, but we are going to provide the um, we'll provide the exact dimensions, and we're going to provide a um, a printable uh, cutout uh, online, so you'll be able to uh, get it from the website. Um, you know, it'll print out exactly the size it's supposed to be and you can just cut it out. And then from there, if you want to, say, um, glue it to um, cardstock or once you have the specifications, say, cut it out of something else yourself, you know, laser cut it out of something, you'd be more than welcome to do so. Awesome.
3: Um, that I think that, that sounds like a very reasonable way to do it. Um, yeah. Do you expect these changes to be in effect at Worlds or is this... Probably no, so that's
2: cool. something else I could offer some some clarity on. Um, we uh, had we've had discussions about uh, whether or not it um, should be, and you know there was a period in which you know hypothetically we could introduce could have introduced this for worlds, but uh, we made the decision that um, with the update to the rules reference um that we just got uh we feel like that was enough of a change um already and as i mentioned before worlds is sort of like the culmination of a season you know it would be like you know ch- changing the rules of you know football right before you know the super bowl you know sort of thing it's like hey well, you know we still want to improve a few things with this rules reference update but uh, we made the decision to hold off on any um tournament regulation updates uh until after worlds um and now i will say that was not just because of the um um the silhouettes um but the other thing that's also been mentioned a few times is a change from uh strength of schedule to margin of victory for um tournaments and that is something we've been working on and something that along with the silhouettes will be in an update to um the tournament regulations but even more so than the silhouettes changing how you calculate tiebreakers was something that even though we are excited about changing it and we think we have a good um, alternative to strength of schedule was not something we wanted to introduce, you know, like right before the, the biggest tournament of the season for the game.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Since it's kind of like the closeout
2: of the, uh, you know, the last year of competitive Legion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and yes, players will have to change um, some lists based on um, the update to the rules reference, you know, um, for anyone going in with Tauntauns, um, they don't necessarily have to change their list, but they may have to, you know, change how they play. They'll have to have some new rules in mind for um, Imperial players running short troopers. If they were doing like a comms relay, um, you know order chaining then yes they obviously have to change their list because the you know mortars can't take those anymore but you know short troopers themselves are still viable so it's not a it's not a, a drastic change um, so there there will be some changes um, you know some some things to take into consideration but you know um, yeah like you said it's not really anything wildly different than what people have been playing up to this point and so it is still sort of a reflection of like you know this is you know again sort of like, the capstone of you know this last you know, the meta we've had leading up to this point.
1: So um, in the RRG are also a lot of brand new keywords that we haven't seen before. Um, this is true. A lot of those new keywords appear to relate to the
2: vital assets expansion. This is correct. Yes, keywords and new types of cards and new miniatures even. Yeah. So do you want to just talk about vital assets? It's, um, I mean, yeah. this,
1: is, this is the first time since priority supplies that we're getting any sort of new objectives. So
2: I know, right. We should have done this sooner.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it sort
3: of seems like it's coinciding with the end of a season, which I
2: think is kind of cool. Yes. As we keep mentioning. Yeah, it does. It works out. It works out nicely that way. Um, Yeah, uh, we had, uh, I might have mentioned this before on one of our live streams that um, we had always planned on doing a pack, another pack of upgrades, and it sort of got pushed out because of um, introducing the new factions. Um, And so we were like, well, you know, we got to make room in our schedule for what is, you know, a a massive chunk of new units of, you know, the, the... the groundwork for two new factions. And so, uh, yeah, Vital Assets got pushed out a bit, but it is coming out. And uh, unlike first one, which had one of each card, uh, this will add three of each card, which uh, will be definitely exciting. And now you're up to eight possible cards in each category. Uh, three of each, yeah. Yep. Uh, so some of the cards, I think... Um, I was checking uh, ahead of time to see what had been uh, in articles or already spoiled in the stream, uh, or had most of their uh, mechanics shown in the um, rules reference. Uh, and so I think at this point, people, people figured out that of the three objectives, there's one that is the hostage exchange, one that is a, um, a payload that uses the bomb carts, uh, and then one that is a, a bombing run that uses the uh, bomb or mine miniatures themselves, um, and they're all they're all pretty they're all pretty wacky, pretty different. We definitely um, uh, when we were working on this, there was a, a kind of a, our our mo was that um, we weren't going to plan on all of them being competitively viable, but if they ended up being that way, then great. We were fully prepared to choose uh, several of these to be like, "Hey, these are casual play only." Um, but then we're pleasantly uh, pleasantly surprised when, um, through testing, um, you know, we we even though some of them were kind of like, you know, outside of the box ideas that they were got to the point where they're refined enough. Um, that we felt like these are all perfectly good candidates for um, you know being a part of the regular battle card uh, pool. So it's definitely going to shake things up, for sure, um, having that many new ones, especially the objectives. But even the, the conditions and um, the deployments themselves, too, are going to shake things up a bit. The one deployment that hasn't been spoiled is actually the weirdest of all of them. So that'll be a fun surprise. This you're guy, just gonna, you're just gonna drop that, mm. right? Yeah, I'm just gonna drop that. <laughs> you can deal with it. It's
1: weird, guys. Um, can you talk? I'll,
2: to- I'll say, I'll say this. I'll say this about it. So the the ones that have been spoiled is the the Alex um, showed off the one called Rollout that has some text on the bottom that you know is sort of like a, it's a it's a further if I remember right it's a further away long march but any vehicles get to deploy um closer so it's directly benefits vehicles um and then the other one the danger close one that you can kind of see in the article um is like kind of a riff on um uh uh, what is the one from the the first priority supplies pack where you get to deploy Uh, out further i'm blanking on the name yeah it's advanced positions Advanced positions, right, yes, where it's, you know, along the edges of the board. This is a riff on that where even more of the board is covered by, you know, the edge of the board is covered by deployment zones. And then the last one um, in, uh, so you got one that's kind of like a a riff on Long March. Uh, You got one that's kind of a riff on that advanced uh, advanced positions. And then the last one that people haven't seen yet is a variation on battle lines. And so in testing, before we had a good name for it, it was called I Can't Believe It's Not Battle Lines. So if people want to go ahead and keep calling it that, that's fine by me when it comes out. You'll see.
1: I will definitely be calling it that. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, Can you you talk uh, just specifically about each of the objectives and kind of like what they do and maybe how they like how folks should expect them to play out a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, people have seen the full text for hostage exchange, so um, I think people have already started thinking about um, how that one's going to play out. That one is definitely sort of a um, um, it's a it's a narrow a narrow way uh, victory condition. In that, um, it's kind of all all or nothing. You can you know one player is probably going to get their hostage back to their side, or just keep it, and the other won't. Um, so there's not a lot of margin for error on that one. Um, it's definitely doing some interesting things too. We had to uh, come up with some interesting sort of ways to get all of the, the game text necessary for it to function uh, in available. Uh, there's the hostage cards themselves that modify the unit that has the objective token, the hostage, essentially. Um, And there's some some other things, too, where, like, you know, the the round one, things can't use detonate. That came directly out of testing of people just, you know, running in they couldn't, the, the hostage carriers couldn't be attacked round one, and very quickly people realize. well, what if I just run up and throw a bunch of bombs at them? So I can't do that either. That seems like that a doesn't work. bad faith hostage exchange anyway. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, this is clearly a hostage exchange gone wrong. Like, after round one, a lot of shooting breaks out. Something didn't go right here. Um, so, uh, yeah, that one will be... I, I think that will definitely... Um, uh players will have to play that one uh carefully um because you know like a lot of the upgrade or a lot of the objective cards are sort of come down to like oh there's there's one objective that matters you know it's the key position in the center or it's you know the um the crate or the the supplies in the center that you're you're fighting over but with this one sort of like um, it's sort of a razor's edge of, you know, you just ha- you have to concentrate on both objective tokens at once. Um, so that one will be interesting. And it does sort of force, um, uh, not unlike those other ones I mentioned, it does sort of force uh, engagement in the center of the board. Um, you know, which I, I and, and has some interesting sort of like where the two units are sort of um, the two ho- units carrying the hostages start. Closer to their opponent's side um, than to the the side of the player that owns them, so they sort of pass past each you know they move past each other a little bit there in the beginning of the round or the first of the first turn. So um, they end up sort of meeting in the middle, and that's where most of the fighting breaks out. So yeah, fight over the middle of the board, in that one primarily uh, for. Um, Payload I think is the one that people have seen the least of but the rules for the bomb cart is in the um rules reference so um I think people sort of have an idea of how that one works where each side has a bomb cart um they're trying to have more of their units near that cart than their opponent and doing so causes the bomb cart to move and you're trying to get the bomb cart to the other side of the board and if you do um you get more victory points presumably it blows up when you get there
3: (laughs) that's a very um reminiscent of like a lot of like video game like dota-esque
2: uh well i would say uh yeah yes actually and uh in fact uh frank brooks who i mentioned earlier also helped with the design on these battle cards specifically and frank and i are both tf2 players and l- there was no question that we're going to try and put payload into legion <laughs> it, it it is just literally tf2 play- payload <laughs> fair enough i mean there, yeah
1: there's a reason it's a it's a mission in video games like that right is because it sort of forces you to fight over a specific area and then push oh yeah, um, yeah
2: exactly now In TF2, I will say, I usually prefer the offense, defense, payload maps, you know, upward being the best of them. Uh, But in order to keep things, uh, we weren't going to do something truly asymmetrical for um, like a a regular, you know, that's more sort of what we do in the scenarios. So this is one where both players have a bomb cart. So what ends up happening in this one too is similar to the hostage exchange one, um, while not necessarily the middle of the board, um, because of the way things can shake out, there's inevitably going to be a point where um, the two carts are going to move near each other, and that's going to be a conflict zone. Um, there can be a couple turns where each team sort of clumps around their own cart to get it moving, uh, but don't actually like engage until the carts themselves sort of converge at a point where they sort of have to cross each other's paths. Yeah,
3: it, this also um, the way you're describing it makes it sound like uh, saboteurs probably have a little bit of play here, and like making it so that your opponent's mine cart can only go certain places or
2: whatever, otherwise, oh, definitely. It blows up all yeah. your... Well, and and what's tough, what's interesting too is um, the the carts move at a decent clip; they move speed two each round, um, but in order you. Uh, at the end, you're going to g- each side is going to gain victory points relative to sort of how far their cart got. So by um, choosing a longer route, you're actually sort of risking um, winning the game. And so you honestly might just plow headfirst into uh, a whole bunch of charge tokens if that's the closest route to where you need to go. Hmm. So certainly potential for some carnage in payload.
1: Speaking of bombs, do you want to talk about the last objective real quick?
2: Yeah. Speaking of bombs that actually blow up, uh, this one, uh, bombing run. Um, I now I'm gonna have to say here I don't actually know how much of this one has been spoiled. I think maybe Alex showed this one on the stream, so people have seen that. Uh, similar to minefield, it has a um, it has a weapon um, profile on the bottom of the car. For uh, an area attack, uh, when the bombs blow up, um, this was one that was um, interesting to design because um, uh, we came at it from the perspective. Some of the other ones uh, we came at from like what would be a cool plastic piece we could do. What what is the like um, what is the the physical componentry of this new objectives pack? Um, whereas bombing run actually started as um, what is the kind of objective that we'd like to see in the game? And uh, there was a number of things we wanted to hit. Uh, Mainly, we wanted to give vehicles sort of an insubstantial advantage. Uh, What I mean is it doesn't specifically mention vehicles, but vehicles are generally going to be better at this objective Um, because at the beginning of the game, you assign these... Bombs to some of your units and those units are trying to get to an opponent's deployment zone so it's not uh, dissimilar from uh, say, you know, your um, uh, Breakthrough where you're just trying to get into your opponent's zone Um, but uh, Getting Getting close and dropping it off and blowing it up is probably going to catch you in the explosion and generally a, a vehicle is going to care much less about an attack that, while it surges to crit, does not have any impact or anything. Um, so, and, and also, if you have speeders, um, they're going to do a great job of zooming in and dropping off the bomb. So, um, this is it. None of the uh, none of the objectives explicitly mention um, vehicles, but uh, this one, and also payload, um, are both. Um, not trooper exclusive. Um, Only troopers are going to be able to drop, pick up a bomb um, that was dropped, but um, that's sort of an edge case anyways, since um, you start with the three, each side's three bombs start um, on a vehicle or not a vehicle, on a unit. And generally that's the unit that's going to take them, you know, try and score with them. Um, Hostage exchange, while it, it does have to be a trooper unit carrying the, um, hostage they're definitely going to be vulnerable to um, a lot of fire while they're trying to do so and in that respect having your vehicles sort of wade in and be the ones laying down fire gives them something to do as well even though they're technically not scores in that one um, but bombing run in particular was like hey what would be a, an objective that like vehicles can definitely have a bit of a leg up on can su- succeed at a bit better than troopers maybe
1: well, and it seems like generally with with all these objectives, um, you know, you're creating situations where each force has to kind of go out of its what would be an entrenched position and like be forced to engage, which also correct favor yeah. vehicles um, because you know armor doesn't care about cover most of the time. So that's that's true. Yes.
2: Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah, similar like with the hostage exchange where um, you know a a trooper to, if, if the hostage gets dropped, a trooper would have to run out of cover to go pick that up um, and bring it back across the board. And as I said, they're generally going to be being fought over or being dropped more sort of in the center. And that's generally not a very safe place to be a vehicle, though, as you say, you know, really doesn't, it's not trying to hide behind a barricade. It can move up and sort of, you know, especially like an at with a good, you know, field of view, you know, can sort of sit there and take, you know, get close enough and then just take shots and try and hammer the unit that's trying to scoop up the hostage and run away with it.
1: So, um,
2: so you're going to be at Adepticon. Is that right? I am. Yes. And I'm super excited about it. I have not been to Adepticon before, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, um, you know, seeing, uh, a lot of legion players who new and people i've seen before as well previously at other tournaments well
1: i certainly hope that you will uh you will come by the stream and see us i
2: absolutely will yes i am planning on it
1: awesome well um, thanks so much for your time and um, we're, we're all very excited about all this new stuff that's uh dropping in the near future it seems like
2: Yes, definitely. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to hear you are.
1: <laughs> all right, well, we will um, we will see you uh, in a month or so at Adepticon.
2: Yes, looking forward to it. See you guys then. Well, will all of the uh, Notorious Scoundrels be represented there at Adepticon? We will. Yeah, in uh, fact, the, ah,
1: yes. the, the entire Fifth Trooper network, so the Scoundrels... <laughs> um and, Evan, and then also uh mike and zach from the blog all will be there so yep
2: that's awesome that's awesome yep. to hear
1: yeah we'll be uh we'll, we'll be holding down the stream in, in various capacities too collectively so
2: i mean yeah some of you guys got to play too so well actually uh it.
3: All of, All of us have qualified, so we're. we're oh, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's posed kind of a logistical issue. Do, so. you, do
2: you need Do you need me to run the stream while you guys play? Is this what? The, is that what this is? If you're offering, yes. <laughs> All right, I'll see. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. We,
1: we certainly would not turn down a significant portion of guest commentary if you wanted to do that. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Luke. Um, and uh, yeah, are- absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Super grateful to have you on. And we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. And that's David's drop that's going to go in there. And we'll see (laughs) you next week.
0: Join us next week for another episode of The Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production.